All right, I love that video. How about you guys? It makes you want to drive really fast. Is anybody with me on that? A couple, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Donuts in the parking lot after church. Um, I'm just kidding. No, that would be fun. Um, hey, I am so excited you're here. Uh, I hope you are too. Um, man, we are going to talk about some neat things this afternoon, and so I hope you're challenged. Uh, and I just, I really think, well, I shouldn't say I think, I really believe that uh, God has something for you today. Uh, and I, so I hope that you take that and you use whatever that is uh, while we talk and be challenged with that and so that we can get, leave this place changed and challenged uh, to be more like Christ. And so uh, really, really excited about that. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bill Haydorn, and uh, I am the uh, pastor over all adult ministries here at Cornerstone. And so, and I have an incredible job, an incredible big job that I absolutely love. Uh, it's a great challenge for me. And so for these last two weeks, we've been talking about maturity. Last week, we talked about grow and how we can get connected in a community so we can really grow spiritually. And today, we're going to talk about serving. And so let me explain a little bit uh, what I'm talking about is uh, here at Cornerstone, there's three things that are super important, and we hope that you hear all the time and understand. It's our three-to-be spiritual growth process. And what that means is this, there, we have three, uh, three things that we're desiring you to be. Number one is, is worship, uh, number two is grow, and number three is serve. And they, and they kind of work in, in linear fashion. And here's how this works, is number one, there was a time in your life where you didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, there's a time in your life where you only knew him as God and you didn't really know who he was. And then you transitioned or you shifted gears and you understood at that point that you needed to surrender your life to him because he died on the cross for your sins and, you're like, and you needed that forgiveness in your life and you still need that forgiveness. And therefore, you've given your life to him. And we would call that a life of worship where you made that surrender. And that's what we do here on Sunday mornings is we come and we celebrate and we worship together. We hear uh, incredible, incredible teachings. It was a joke. Um, and, and we hear uh, just a great time of worship where we come and we sing and we share and we, we, we just, we share our hearts with God and it's a place where we can bring friends and a place where we can learn about God at, at, a, at a large group level. And that's really important for spiritual growth. Well, if you keep going and you shift gears, we understand that this isn't enough. Uh, there's also the second gear which we move to in our three to be process, which is our grow. And so we move from worship to growing. Growing is understanding at the simple level that we can't live our life with God alone, that we have to have other people around us. And so we have small churches, we have uh, small groups, we have an incredible men's ministry, women's ministry, singles ministry, uh, we have a, a celebrate recovery ministry. Why do we have these groups and these ministries? So you can find a place to grow at a smaller level. So it's not just the big group, but it's also that smaller group where you're in a place where somebody knows your name and you know somebody else's name. You're in a place where uh, you're being challenged to grow in your relationship with God and you're being uh, surrounding yourself with people who dig and read in the Word of God. And so that's why we have our grow groups, and that's what we talked a lot about last week, and I challenge you guys to jump into those ministries and, uh, and, and, and to jump into those grow groups. Then the next gear we shift to is simply this, is to serve. Because we know, you know what, there's this time where you come and you worship and you learn who Christ is, then you want to get connected and grow, and then you realize something as you mature in your faith. You realize this, the church isn't about me anymore. 
the church is really uh, about God, and it's about what God has for me to do and how I can serve him. And so this morning, I hope to challenge you, or this afternoon, I hope to challenge you with this idea that you're here for a purpose. And it's not just to take up a seat, and it's not just to listen, but that God has given you a life, he's given you talents and gifts to serve him with. And once you get to that place, that's, that's like top gear. You're flying along because you're doing exactly what God desires you to do. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and pray, and let's ask God just to move uh, in us today and challenge us to grow closer to him. Father, I thank you for, uh, for this group this, this afternoon, and I, I want to pray that you use this time, that you would comfort those that need to be comforted, but also challenge those that need to be challenged. Lord, I know that we are all at different places in our walk spiritually, and so we all need to be met at that place, and so I pray that through your word and through what's spoken today, that you would meet each person individually where they're at, that you would begin calling them and moving them towards you. We pray this in your name, amen. So I have a friend, and, uh, and his name's Tony, and Tony works with, uh, it's a youth missions organization. And Tony used to travel around the world and do these mission trips in, in, in crazy places. And he was telling me this story uh, about a, a trip he took to the Dominican Republic. And as he was telling the story, I was just blown away, and so I wanted to share that with you. When he showed up at the Dominican Republic, he met with a pastor named Pastor De La Cruz. And Pastor De La Cruz had been uh, in this certain tribal village uh, for a couple of years, and he was just at the point of giving up. I, they had been there. They had tried to make connections with the native people. And there was, the native people just didn't want him there. They, they just, they ignored him. And he would go in and serve them and give them food and fresh water and all kinds of, but it just wasn't working out. And so he was, he was so discouraged that uh, he was just about ready to give up. Well, as the story goes, Pastor De La Cruz kind of lived in the jungle a little bit away from the village. And so uh, once he left the village, he had to walk through the jungle to get to his house. That's just crazy if you ask me. And, uh, and so he's, he's out and, and, and he's, he's, it's, it's about evening time and it's getting dark. And so he's leaving the village and he's walking to his, to his house and, uh, and, he, and he's thinking in his head, he's like, God, why did I bring my family out here? Like nobody cares about us. Like they don't even want us here. And I just, I don't know, should we be leaving? Should we stay? What should we do? And he's going through all those questions. And at that moment, uh, there, he hears this rustling in the bushes. And so as he's passing by, he's kind of looking in. He's freaking out. He's shining his little light over there. And all of a sudden, I don't know where this guy just pops out in the middle of the jungle. And he's with big old white eyes and just starts screaming, ah! Ah! Yeah, that was funny. And, and then he falls back and just passes out. And, and Pastor De La Cruz is like, what is going on? And so he goes over and he, and, he, and he looks at the guy and he starts shining his light and he realizes the guy's covered in blood. And he looks real close and he notices there's just slashes all over his body, all over his, his head, all over his neck, all over his you know, upper body, all over his legs. And he, and he realized real quickly that he had, he'd gotten a, a machete fight because that's how they deal with things down south. <laughs> yeah, machete fights. And so somebody from another village attacked him and basically left him for dead out in the middle of the jungle and he was gonna die. Pastor De La Cruz looked and, and just said, God, is this my answer? And so he lifted this guy up, put him in his arms, carried him to his house. For about two weeks, just nursed him back to health. And, and during that time, he, he bandaged his wounds, cleaned out his wounds, the guy was left for dead. 
the guy, while that was happening in the beginning, was, didn't really want his help, but he had no choice. He was kind of stuck there because he was left for dead. And as this guy learned about Pastor De La Cruz, he began to listen to him. Pastor De La Cruz started sharing his faith with this man, started sharing about Jesus and started sharing about, you know what? Jesus died for you and he died for your sins and he wants you to have a relationship with him. If you would just come to him and he over and over you would share scripture and his wife would come in and his kids would come in and they would all feed him and they would do everything you do to take care of this guy. And finally, after a couple weeks, the guy surrenders his life to Jesus. It's such an awesome thing that happened. Well, then they began to talk, and he said, you know what, your next step is you got to get baptized. And baptism just, it, it's an outward illustration of an inward decision. And what it means is when, when you're under that water, it's like your old life being passed away, and, and you rise up, and that's your new life. That's what baptism illustrates. It's, all, it's, it's a great ceremony that God wants us to do. And so, so this guy said, absolutely, I'll do it. So Pastor De La Cruz takes him and he begins to carry him to the village because in the village there's a river that runs. And as he's walking towards there, all these people start surrounding him, all these villagers. And he realizes very quickly, uh-oh, this, this isn't just a normal man. This is the chief of the village. And his name was Egway. All these people were like, where have you been these last couple weeks? We've been, you know, wondering where you were. And he says, I've been at this man's house and he taught me something new and I want to tell all of you about it. And I'm coming to be baptized down at the river. I want everyone to come. And so as they start going through and walking down, Tony was saying, the, the, the people started surrounding and coming from all over just to see Eggway get baptized. And then he said it was crazy. Once they got in the water, Pastor De La Cruz kind of carried Eggway with his, all of his bandages, and he just seemed so weak and so frail. I mean, he almost died, and he put him in the water, and, and as he was ready to baptize him, Tony said that uh, he could just tell something was, was different. And so Pastor De La Cruz looked at Eggway and said, do you surrender your life to God? Are you going to follow him for the rest of your life? And he said, yes. He says, based upon that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he puts him under the water. And as he brought him up, he said that, that Egway had this huge smile on his face and it's just his teeth from this huge grin. And as he came up out of the water, all the water dripping off of him, all these bandages all over him just began to fall off like they weren't even there. And they looked and there wasn't a scar on his body. Every cut was gone. And then... And when he did that, he just began proclaiming his testimony on what had happened and how God has changed his life and how simply he was left for dead and yet God saved him. And then after that, villager after villager came down to be baptized and they baptized a couple hundred people in one day. And God did an incredible work on that. Now you can clap, that's good. And I know... I know some of the doubters out there, and I understand, I get it. You know, you're going, oh, yeah, right, that really didn't happen. No, it did happen. God did an incredible work. And when we hear that story, I want you to think, when we hear that, we go, man, there is, that's an incredible miracle. I can't even imagine that happening. And I want you to know something. There, that is an incredible miracle. But there is something else that's incredible in that story. There's this underlying story. There's something going on behind the scenes that I think is an even more incredible miracle. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 9. Uh, John is about three quarters of the way through 
your Bible towards the back. It's in one of the Gospels. It's called the Gospel of John, which simply means the good news of John. And so really what the good news of John is, is basically John telling the story of the good news of Jesus. And so we're reading out of his book or his recollection uh, of, of, of what he saw happen with God, with Jesus when he was here. And so in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. It says, as he went along, speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, so, so here's the picture. You have Jesus cruising along, you know, and he has an entourage around him and all these guys surrounding him, asking him questions all the time. And uh, that's what rabbis did back then or teachers did. And so they would go through and do life lessons wherever they went. That's how they learned. And so Jesus is walking by a blind man, and a blind man's sitting there, and his disciples are like, hmm, that's interesting. And then they have a question, Jesus, why is that guy blind? Is it because his parents sinned or he sinned? Now, now let's back up a little bit. I think we have to understand this. Culturally speaking, uh, when this was written, uh, the Jews had this idea that if something was broken, right, then there must be sin involved, so if you, if you were suffering from blindness or you were suffering from a sickness or you were suffering from something, it meant that somewhere down the line, right, somebody sinned and you were paying the price for that sin, whether it was your parents, you know, maybe, maybe they thought, you know, yeah, maybe his mom had an affair and, uh, and that's why he was blind because his mom had an affair. Or maybe it was because, you know, she cheated on her taxes and that's why he was blind or I don't know, something like that. But that's how they would think. So it was almost this idea that if you're not perfect, if you're not complete, then you're kind of left to the side and you're useless for God's work. That's really the big picture of what's going on here. And so they're looking and saying, okay, so God, who was it? Was it, was it this guy's parents, right? Or was it this guy himself? You know, how, how did that happen? I, I want you to think about this with me for a minute, if you can. When you're broken, when you feel that you've just blown it, when you feel, you know what, maybe there's just no hope for me, do you think God can't use you? And I know there, I, am, I, I know, I shouldn't say, I, I know that there's people in this room right now who have a horrible past, and God knows too. And somewhere along the line, you believe at the core that because of that past, it kind of disqualifies you for anything. That, that somehow when you made that mistake or you did whatever it is that you did that was this heinous crime or whether it was this heinous sin or whatever that could be or whatever you think it is, that that disqualified you for anything else. And you look around and you see other people living a great life and you're trapped in this place of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm broken and God can't use me. That's really the picture of what's happening here. The guys, the disciples believe that about this guy. You know what? He's broken. You know what we do with broken things? We put them in the garage until we repair them, right? How many of you guys right now have projects at your house? Your wife is hitting you right now. Projects at your house that you haven't dealt with. It's that car in the garage that needs to be repaired. It's that appliance that needs to be dealt with. It's something sitting in there. And then you get to the place where you're so frustrated that you throw it away. 
right? Because you know what? If it's broken, I can't use it. I, it's, it's useless to me. See, our culture, our culture sees that as well. Because everything has to be perfect. Just recently, I bought a Kindle off of Amazon. And, uh, and I went and saw the normal price of the Kindle, and then I saw the refurbished price of a Kindle. Now, a refurbished one is one that's been used, and then somebody turned it in, and then they refurbished it at the factory and sell it to you at this great discounted price. So I'm cheap. I'll buy the refurbished. But what's funny is they have a hard time selling refurbished stuff. Why is that? Because we want new. We want it in perfect condition, and we feel like, well, if it's a little bit used or a little bit broken, ah, it's not going to work for me, and it's useless. And maybe we feel that way about ourselves, Maybe subconsciously at this level we feel like, you know what, I'm not that good and I know it and so God can't use me and so I'm just going to kind of sit back and watch my life go by. Yet God has a plan for you and your life. God has a plan for you. Now look at what happens here. So they ask him, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, and, and that he was born blind? Verse 3, and then Jesus responds to him. Listen to what he says. He says, hey, guys, uh, check this out. That's, not in, that's my version. <laughs> he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So first of all, he says, hey, guys, just so you know, you got it all wrong. Nobody sinned here. Wait a minute, so why is he blind? He's blind because he blew it, right? No. Jesus says, nobody sinned here. His blindness wasn't caused by sin. And then, listen to what he says, it probably blew their socks off. He says this, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Do you catch this? He said, hey guys, do you, do you know where I'm going with this? The reason he's blind is so that I can work through him. Let me say it this way. Because he is weak, I can use him. Because he is blind, my work is gonna be shown through his life. There's gonna be an incredible God story because what's gonna happen later is Jesus is gonna heal this guy and he's gonna go out preaching God's word and everybody knows that he was once blind and now he sees. And so for us, what does he say? He says, I know your weakness. And your weakness isn't the problem. In fact, your weakness is what I need to work through you. But we think it's strength. Why do we, why do we equate success with blessing? Right? I mean, don't we do this? We look and we go, oh, man, I'm living the blessed life. You know, I've got, I've got all the finances I need. I'm taking care of. I don't... Man, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just flying through life. And we look and we think that that's a blessing. And we look, and, and yeah, maybe God blesses that way. He absolutely does. He does bless us in areas like that. that. That does happen. But why do we see when negative things come and when things that are, that are when we get the test results and they're not what we thought they would be, when we get the word from our spouse and they want a divorce? When these things come in our life and then we think, I'm cursed, I must have sinned, I must have done something wrong. God, are you, what did I do? And we go back and we start saying, oh, okay, here's this karma thing. I, I probably did these three sins and that's why this happened and God's like, whoa, 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 where are you going? 
What this is saying here, you guys, and please catch us, is through all of our brokenness and all of our sin, he is able to transform that into strength and to make us strong and so that you can live a life that he desires you to live. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's just over a couple of books to the right. 2 Corinthians was written by a guy named Paul. Paul wrote half the New Testament. Um, He wrote some incredible, incredible books, uh, incredible scripture. They described Paul, from what we know, as this um, this short, kind of cackling, annoying guy. So he would go around and he was short, and I think they actually said he was balding, so he's kind of balding and he was short and he kind of hunched over shoulders, and he was super smart, but he would walk around and he'd be like making ha ha ha, you know, ah, and he would talk about scripture, and, and he was amazing. He, was, he started the church, really. I mean, he's the one that went out, he was missionary journeys all over the place, and began an incredible movement. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here. And so Paul, this guy you would think, super intelligent, but just doesn't have social skills, it's kind of our foundation. You know, it kind of reminds me of if you've ever seen the movie uh, Princess Bride. Anybody ever see that movie? Okay, one word if you remember, inconceivable, right? That guy, picture, that's who I picture as Paul. The other thing, inconceivable, and he's going and he's, and, he's, and he's sharing. And so in this section of scripture right here in 2 Corinthians, what happens is this. Paul is going all over the place for Jesus. He's been in prison, he's been boat shipwrecked, he's, I'm just crazy stuff all over. And then he goes, hey, Jesus says, listen, I'm doing all this for you. I've got this problem. And we don't know what it is. It really doesn't describe what it is. We think it's possibly something wrong with his eyes where he couldn't see and they would get crusted over. Is is kind of some historians believe that's what it is. We don't really know for sure. But what he says is, God, Jesus, I want to work for you and I want to do all these things for you, but I need you to take away this, this physical condition that I have so I can better preach your word, which makes sense to me. Right? I mean, the guy's doing incredible work. Why not take away the sickness so he can do even more work? So he goes to the Lord and he says, hey, Lord, please take away this sickness. And God says, no. He goes again, God, please, you know I want to just preach your word and I'm just having a really difficult time because I keep going to these places and this is bugging me and it's, it's like stopping me, slowing me down. And God's like, no. Finally, one last time, I said, God, please take this away from me. And God says, no. And if you're like me, you're like, Why? And then in chapter 12, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians, listen to what he says. So Jesus says to Paul, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. What? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Basically, Jesus tells Paul, you know what? My grace, the forgiveness of your sins, I died on the cross for your sins, that's enough for you. But God, you're not gonna heal me? No, because that's enough. My grace is enough. You know, we sing that song, your grace is enough. That's where this comes from. I'm not a worship leader. Um, So, and then he says this. So he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then listen what Jesus says to Paul. He says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. (laughs) Paul, you know when you're weakest? Yeah. Yeah, that's when I'm strongest in you. Wait, what do you mean, Jesus? Yeah, when you're weak and you're on your last leg and you're, you're, you're sick and you're tired and you have nowhere else to go, yeah, that's when I'm working through you the most. 
Because when we surrender to God, when we surrender to him, and, and, and we are broken and torn apart, and at that point, that's when God rushes in and says, now I can use you. See, the reason this happened to Paul is a couple verses before it talks about how prideful he was. And so I could see the conversation Jesus is saying to him, saying, Paul, here's the truth. If I were to heal you, you are so prideful that you would think everything you're doing is because of you, is all on your own power and all on your own gifts and talents. But what I want you to know is it isn't. It's dependent upon me. And so you're going to have to depend upon me to get you through. And that's where the power is. Not in your power, but in my power. Man, in my power. Have you ever been in that situation? God, I can't do this without you. I don't know where, where I can go. All I have to go. Realize this, you guys. Please, if you don't catch anything, catch this. When we're at that place, that's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. My wife had a brain tumor years ago. And I remember the moment that happened. I, there was nowhere else I could go. There's no, nobody was going to tell me, nobody, there's no encouraging, there was, what, what are you going to tell me? What are you going to do? And I remember sitting there in the room when we got the news, and, and we held each other and just wept, and God later healed her, and that's an incredible story, but I want to say during that time, I never grew closer, closer to God in my wife, in my life, than, than in those times of weakness. Why? Because we had to depend upon each other. We had to depend on him to get us through. So maybe all of those things that we go through and all of those things that are happening in our life aren't so bad. Maybe they are bad on the outside, but it's drawing us towards trusting him. Now, why am I saying all this? Because you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with serving? Well, here's, I think, the core of what I believe is this. I think we get afraid to step out because we don't know what the heck we're doing. And God wants to use us, and God's given us gifts and talents, each person in this room. He's created you for a purpose and a reason. And yet, our, our past catches up to us. This idea that we can't do it catches up to us. And so we sit back and let other people do it, and we miss out on the incredible blessings that God has for us. And we never shift from that idea of growing and saying, hey, the church is about me to the church is about other people and sacrificing and giving everything to them. I had a friend of mine, his name was Joey Versace, and he was actually a part of the Versace family. I know someone famous. Not that Versace's matter. Um, Joey was one of my interns. We did this camp at Mission Beach uh, for our college students, and it, it, it was right at the Bahia Resort. Anybody ever been to Mission Beach before? Raise your hand just real high. Okay, yeah, nice beach. Um, and so we'd hang out there uh, for a week. And one of the sessions, instead of staying in and kind of teaching and learning, I said, hey guys, I want you guys out in the, out in the community. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break you all off into different groups. I'm going to give you 20 bucks. You go out and do what you want with that 20 bucks. Just serve somewhere. And so all the groups went out, and I remember watching, and it was just amazing seeing all these people praying in little huddles all over the place. And uh, I, I really do believe that that place got blessed for that day. And Joey and his group went to Subway, and they bought sandwiches and ate. Uh, which is kind of funny. He's like, hey, go out and serve. And they went out and ate. But after they ate sandwiches, they, they walked out and there was a homeless guy sitting there and they said, this is the guy we're supposed to talk to. 
They picked him up. Well, they didn't pick him up. They asked him, hey, you come pick him up. <laughs> come in, have a sandwich. Um, and so they sat him down, and they were talking with him, and they said, hey, do you want a sandwich? The guy goes, no, I want two sandwiches. And so they bought him two sandwiches. Homeless guy, matted hair, dirty beard. I mean, just hadn't showered in probably weeks. He just smelled. He had bugs crawling in his beard and everything. And, and so they're talking with him, and they're, you know, feeding him and buying him food, and and they say, hey, man, what's your story? Just tell us your story. We want to be, we want to do what we can to just, if we can help serve you in any way. And the guy says, yeah, I've been on the streets for like 15 years, and I just want to go home. I hate, I hate my life. And I haven't talked to my family. I haven't talked to my friends. And I just, I can't. And Joey said, just wait a minute. And he got up, and he grabbed the guys, and he walked outside, and he looked at the guys. And he said, hey, guys, we, we have a chance to serve here. And so he said, why don't we fly this guy home? And they were like, we don't have money to do that. And it's like, yeah, if we put our money together, we can do it. So they got back together. They went. They sat down with him again. They said, hey, do you, do you know how to contact your family? And, and he said, yeah, I think I still have someone's phone number. Joey hands him his phone and says, call your family right now. He's like, why? And he said, because you're going home. He says, no, I'm not. Yeah, you're going home. And the guy, just tears began to get into his eyes. And he grabbed the phone and he dialed. And just through circumstances, was able to get a hold of his mom and his mom says, come home. Where have you been? We have been worried about you. We have been praying for you. We have been waiting to hear this call. Where have you been? And with that, he says, mom, I'm coming home today. And he hung up the phone, and Joey went, and they found out where he lived somewhere on the East Coast. And they called, and they got him a plane ticket. They took him to their hotel room, and they said, hey, you need to shower and shave. You don't want to go home like this, and no one's going to want to sit by you on the plane. You know? And they gave him clothes. They gave him their clothes off their own back. And they went and sent him home on a plane. About two months later, they get a letter in the mail. It's a picture of him, all clean-shaven, with his family, and a letter from his mom saying, you have no idea how you changed my family, how you changed his life, how you changed our community by sending my son home. He says, things aren't perfect. We're still struggling through the homeless thing and him getting off the streets, but you have to know he accepted Jesus. He's walking with Christ, and, and he, is, he is committed to serving him all because of what you guys did. Now, that's an incredible story, and every, I, every time I think about that story, I go, I want to be like Joey. Now, now here's the kicker. Here's the underlying story. What you don't know is that Joey, Joey has a sickness that could actually kill him at any moment. He's got a super rare disease. Joey has to, when he goes in public, he has to wear, uh, when he goes out in the sun, he has to wear things that cover up every part of his body because if the sun gets on his body, it could actually kill him and it hurts him tremendously. He's like almost like a vampire. He has to wear glasses even at night, even the moonlight hurts. He... The, when he goes home, he has to leave the lights off. It's just this super rare disease. Most people who have the same disease don't go in public. They're stuck. They don't live life. And yet you have this young man who said, I'm not going to let that get me down. And in his weakness, God made him strong. Joey right now is a pastor of discipleship at a church, sunglasses and hat and all. Because he, know that, he knows that God has a plan for his life. Now, why do I say that? Because in Joey's weakness, I want you to catch this, in Joey's weakness, he was made strong. In Joey's weakness, that, that story of, of Pastor De La Cruz, in his, in his weakness, 
At his point of weakness, God made him strong. And that's what God does with you and I. In our point of weaknesses, he makes us strong and he comes in and his Holy Spirit moves in us and incredible things happen when we allow him to do that, when we allow him to move. Now turn over to Mark chapter two. We're gonna look at this section of scripture in Mark chapter two, just to the left a little bit. In Mark chapter two, here's the opening scene. If we were shooting a movie and I was the director, I would shoot it like this. You have Jesus on the screen and he's teaching in a house and it actually says Jesus is in the house. It actually says that. And he's sitting there in the house and he's beginning to teach and the crowds start coming in. And so it pans out as you see the crowd start coming in and people start surrounding the house and there's no more room and they're, they're jumping over each other just trying to hear what Jesus is saying. And so the house is packed out and Jesus is talking. Now while that's happening, here's another, here's the second story, boom, the camera stops and pans over and it shows these four guys. And these four guys are, are talking together and they're like, yeah, Jesus is here, he's in town. He's teaching at the house. And they look down and they have a friend who's paralyzed. And they, and they look at their friend and they say, if you meet him, he'll heal you. And so these guys get together like, what are we gonna do? We gotta get this, we gotta get our friend to Jesus. And, and so they grab their friend and they, they put him on some makeshift board and they, they start carrying him through town. And so the next scene is them carrying through town, you know, searching for the house where Jesus is. And then they start coming around the corner and they look and they realize there's no way we're gonna get in that house. It pans back again and it shows all of these people surrounding the house. There's no way they're gonna get in. They could give up and go home or they could do something else. And so at that point they choose. You know what they do? They look. One of the guys says, yeah, that's how we're gonna do it. And it points up to the roof. And they grab their friend they say, hey, this may hurt a little bit. And so they take him over and they, they get him up and, and they climb up on the roof and they, they can figure something so that they can pull him up there and get him up, on through some stairs and they take him up on the roof and, and then it pans back to Jesus on the inside and you know Jesus knows what's going on and so he hears something on the roof and he kind of grins. And before you know it, the guy's talk, Jesus is talking and it starts showing these hands coming through the roof, tearing the roof apart piece by piece. People in the crowd are getting angry because they're getting stuff all over them, saying, hey, what are you guys doing up there? And Jesus just looks up and grins because he knows what's happening. These guys are looking at their friend and all they're saying is, we know if you get around Jesus, you're gonna be healed. Whatever we're gonna do, we need, we've gotta get him because he needs to be healed. He's gotta meet Jesus and nothing is stopping them. They have this brazen tenacity to start ripping apart the roof. And so Jesus looks up as he's teaching, and he's, this is how I picture it at least, and he's smiling, and he's looking at the crowd, and they're like, let's do it. And they lower their friend, like right in front of Jesus, right in the midst of his teaching. Now they didn't know if he was gonna get mad, if he was gonna rebuke them, or what he was gonna do. So these guys are sitting there, God, please, I hope you heal our friend. And Jesus is sitting there smiling because he knows what he's about to do. And all of a sudden he looks it up and it chokes me up when I think about it. Here's this paralyzed guy. And Jesus looks at him and listen to what he says in, chapter, in Mark chapter two. Verse five, he says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now I want you to catch this. When he looked at whose faith? the faith of his friends. He says, you guys, you guys cared so much for your friend. 
I see your faith. I see your belief. And then he goes on to say this. He says in verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, oh, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive him? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Now I want you to picture this scene. Picture this scene with me, because this is so important. The doubters in the room were saying, there's no way Jesus can forgive sins. The guys up on the ceiling, up on the roof, they're like, God, we know you can forgive sins. And Jesus perceives that these guys are totally doubting, and he looks and he says, I'm going to forgive him his sins, but he hadn't healed him yet. And so this poor paralytic guy is sitting there going, thanks for healing me, or thanks for forgiving me, but what am I going to do now, right? He's laying there. And then Jesus says, it's easy for me to say I'm going to forgive sins, but the next step is this. He says, now you're healed. Stand up, grab your mat, and go home. And at that point, he stood up, and the crowd just went, And he grabbed his mat and he's like, sweet. And he walked home. What if those four guys stayed at home? What if they said, you know what, it's too hard. We got to get rip off the roof. You know what, you know what, let's just, it's not going to happen. There's no way Jesus can do that. This is what I believe most of us do. And so my challenge for you is this. And I, my challenge for you is this, you guys, please. God has called you to something. And it could be something as simple as saying, hey, you know what? I need to serve. I need to serve in the harvest festival because I know, this is what I know, that when those families come in, that some of them are not gonna know Jesus and my words can be the very thing that they need to hear. And my word, I, I, just simply me working at a booth, handing out candy can have eternal consequences. Here's the problem. We have to show up for that to happen. And when we show up in our weakness, God fills in the gaps, and we realize it's nothing that we're doing. We're just showing up so he can use us. But if you never show up, how's he going to use you? Our children's ministry wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for some incredible volunteers who love to spend time with your kids, and some of them don't love to spend time with their kids, but they're over there because they're serving. Right? Is it easy? Is it fun? Absolutely not. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. You think those parking lot guys in the middle of the summer love, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, and they're dripping with losing 20 pounds a Sunday. Know why they do it? Because they know that that's going to have an eternal consequence in your life. So now it's time for you to stop taking and giving. So I want to challenge you to make that shift. There are we're a church built on volunteers, guys. We need you. Or somebody's going to miss out. So think about this. What you've experienced allows someone else to experience, but in order to do that, you have to sacrifice. You have to mature and shift gears because it's not about you anymore. Let me pray for you. God, I hope you did challenge us today. I hope that each of us feels that that Holy Spirit, Lord, moving in us, saying it's time to step out. I pray for husbands and wives right now. I pray for husbands and wives to, be, uh, to come together on this and say, where can we serve together? I pray 
for singles, Lord, who they're not committed in any place, that they would get connected and, Lord, use their gifts and talents to serve your church. I pray, God, for those who are sitting in here who have just been dying and waiting, that they would go today, that they would go out to our booth, Lord, that they would go out to the Harvest Festival booth or, or to go out to our Volunteer Central and say, you know what, it's time for me to commit. It's time for me to step out of these seats. It's time for me to give back what I've been given. And Lord, when we do that knowing that that's where the blessing lies, because in our weakness, you come and fill the gaps. We know we can't do it, God. We don't deserve this, but yet you allow us to do it. So we pray for that challenge in each and every one of us, and I thank you for giving us the opportunity to give back to you in your name. Amen.